When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a different scene. Blog Talk Radio. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. And welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. I'm your host, Ryan, and we have a very incredible guest this evening. He is known as Chapter 36, Mr. Gerald Salente. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with Mr. Salente and I can tell you a couple of things. One, he is extremely sharp. And two, his heart is about ten times the size of the average American's waistline. So you can only fathom on how big his heart is. So without further ado, here's our interview with Mr. Salente. Our guest today is Gerald Salente, publisher of the Trends Journal. He's been forecasting trends since 1980. And he's been coming up with a number of predictions about humanity and the course of human history that he's been completely accurate on. So we are honored to be with him today. Thank you so much for joining us, Gerald. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you. Great being with you. My pleasure. Gerald, you'd written a book called What Zizzy Gave Honey Boy that focused on your relationship with your aunt. Can you please discuss what you felt were the most powerful and most significant life lessons she taught you? and how she ultimately would influence your perceptions? Sure. Um, First of all, the word zizi, Z-I-Z-I, that's the Neapolitan dialect for auntie. So uh, zia is aunt and zizi is your auntie. And um, she was living in Yonkers, New York. May her soul rest in peace. She passed away a few years ago. And uh, I was living up in Rhinebeck, New York, which was about an hour, 45 minutes north of New York City. So... On the way back and forth to the city, I try to visit Zizi as much as possible. Her husband had just died, and um, my divorce just <laughs> began. So I had been married for 23 years. So, but I used to visit Zizi all the time, you know, and I had great aunts and uncles. So, what I what I learned from Zizi, so many things, but of all the works that I've written in my career, and I've written a lot between the Trends Journals and my books. This is my favorite of everything that I've ever done because it really puts things into perspective. So among the many, many, many things that Zizi taught me, she used to say all the time, now you have to realize this is a woman in her mid-80s, severe phlebitis. She could hardly stand up. She couldn't walk without a walker. And always a smile on her face. Always saying a nice word about everyone. Never saying anything disparaging about any any other person. And she used to say, I'll never forget, she used to say, count your blessings one by one and you'll see all that God has done. And not God in the religious proselytizing sense that this is my God, this is the one you have to believe in. But more in a general sense. And what I used to do is when I used to take the train into New York City from Rhinebeck, I'd stop at the Penn Central, Penn Station, and I'd pick her up all these, these puzzle books and, you know, making connections between different words. And she used to say to me all the time, you know what happens to old people? They lose their minds because they become stupid from watching so much television. You've got to keep your mind active. Keep your mind active. She said, I learn something every day. And I never forgot that. 
and that's what I do as a trend forecaster. I study every day, every day. And even at my darkest time, she's always, you know, she always reinforced the, the belief, have faith in yourself, have confidence in yourself. You know who you are, and you have to reach those greatest, greatest potential within you. And, and again, there were so many other things that tied it all together because she was of a generation that really, you know, she was born in you know, the early 1900s. So she had her, a foot back into the past, you know, from her, from, her, from her parents and her grandparents. You know, the time before, you know, when they only had horse and buggy and they were still cooking with, you know, uh, firewood and coal up to seeing, she used to say, I remember when all the news about Lindbergh. So she saw the past and she saw the present and she saw the future. She was in a unique time. And she used to keep bringing that back, you know, so that you'd have a really a clear understanding of, you know, we're only, a, we're only a speck of time over here and we really have no clue what was or what could be. What could be. So, in doing that, she also instilled the traditions of the past. So, as you know, growing up as an Italian American, you know, my grandfather, may his soul rest in peace, in the Bronx, he had a rabbit run in the back of his house in a garden, you know, uh, and and so there was always great food, always great company, people stopping in all the time, and family. So those are the things that we kept, and, and by the way, very important that many people today may not re, a, be able to relate to. Style, grace, elegance, and beauty. That was the life with Zizi. And my parents, may their souls rest in peace, and my aunts and uncles. Everyone was dressed all the time. You know, I came from a, a family of seven kids. You know, you were on your own. And my mother, boy, her soul rest in peace, she used to clean the house in, in low heels and, and a beautiful dress on. We didn't have a maid. And everybody was always dressed. And it was always great quality food. So it was about quality, dignity, courage, passion, and self-respect. Those are the things that Zizi kept bringing back to reinforce and, and she used to say about my, my great-grandmother, may her soul rest in peace, have a photo of her, very elegant-looking woman, very strong. And she said, you know, your, great, your great-grandmother was a senora. She knew how to read and write. So those are the things that I got from her, plus many, many, many other things as well. Okay. And, uh, Gerald, humanity's come to know you as a brilliant and passionate individual and historical records are going to reveal to future generations that you were correct many times on your predictions on trends on your predictions on events and your predictions on cultural behavioral shifts how are you able to make these accurate predictions and how can other human beings learn this unique skill set that you've had that's very kind of you Uh, thank you you know, again, you know, it's it's the roots. And I was taught at a very young age by my dear father, may his soul rest in peace. You know, I, I was the terror in the, uh, in the in the family. <laughs> my mother used to ship me out with my father on weekends, you know, to go when he was going on business. He'd take, oh, come on, let's go. You know, I'd jump in the car with him. And, and I'd be shooting my mouth off, and uh, he'd look at me handsome guy, you know, give me a dirty look, stern, not dirty, but stern, and he'd say to me in Italian, Papagallo, actually the dialect from the area, Vica Quenza in Italy was Papawal, which means parrot, he said, Papagallo, he said, stop repeating what everybody else is saying, and think for yourself, and I heard that maybe, eh, five times. By the time I was a teenager, I knew from my family, my aunts and uncles and grandparents, everybody around, if I was going to say something, I better be speaking from my own mind and from my own knowledge base, 
not repeating what everybody else was saying. So I realized that in order to speak about something intelligently, I better know the facts. And so that was really my foundation. And also, in my, also my other careers, you know, at, at a graduate school, I was running mayoral campaigns in Yonkers, New York, and Westchester County, which was at that time, you know, Westchester was the richest place in the country. And I got very involved. I became the assistant to the secretary of the New York State Senate at 23 years old. And I was a chief government affairs specialist in D.C. for the chemical industry, you know, in the 70s. So, you know, I got around. You know, I saw what it looked like. And that's when I became a political atheist. I think for myself. Is it? Okay. Is this when you started to have, at what point in your life would you say you noticed a real rapid change in your own intellectual perceptions that made you different from what the collective values of the culture at the time were? I mean, you know, some point, I think people, they, they want to fit in and they want to think what everyone else is thinking. When did you really start to break away and to start you know, being a total individual? Was it when you really started acting on behalf of what your father had told you? to think and speak for yourself or was there ever a point where you just kind of completely just saying I'm doing it on my own I've got this perception and it is my own and I am no longer on the same conscious level as the collective well it's never total you know it's it's a it's a process and and the advantage of me working within government and and doing what I was doing was to see the other side but there was a wake-up moment and that was in the late 1970s when the Iranian Revolution was breaking out. And being a student of history, I always enjoyed it very much and an avid reader of it. You know, I knew about the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Mossadegh in 1953 by the CIA and the MI6 in UK. And how they were nationalizing the oil fields, you know, the overthrow of Mossadegh, a university professor. And the brutality of the Savak, the secret police under the Shah, and how they dragged the Shah out of southern France. And, yes, I knew all the, you know, and they made him the, the Shah. The, uh, yes, I, knew, I knew the details. It was not all of them, of course, but a lot of them. So when the revolution broke out, I knew it was real. Now, remember, I'm in D.C. at the time, commuting between living in Chicago and D.C. And Jimmy Carter comes back from spending New Year's Eve, he and Rosalind with the Shah and his wife. And in those days, it was a big deal when the president went overseas. And he comes back from the visit, and there's the, you know, they salute as he comes out of the helicopter, goes to the microphones. And he announces to the American people that the Shah is the island of stability in the Middle East. There's a saying we had in the Bronx, BS has its own sound. And I know what BS sounded like. And at that moment is when I became a political atheist. I watched the whole country get caught up in this great big lie. And then I caught myself. And that's really when I became a trend forecaster. I said, what will the implications of this be? And I realized that gold and oil prices would start shooting up. And out of nowhere, I said, I'm going to try to learn how to speculate in those markets. I had no idea what I was doing. I was 33 years old. And that is, by the way, a time in, you know, now, of course, you know, twice that age. There's times in your life when you start growing up. One, I think, is around 28. I'm only speaking for guys, you know, women are on a different clock. And you start realizing it's around 28. I can't be a kid anymore. Those days are over. And then at 33, 34, you start realizing, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Is this who I really am? And that was what happened to me. But at the same time, I made enough money to quit my job. And that's when I began in 1980, the Trends Research Institute. So, and again, you know, it, it's a process. I mean, I look back now and what I was thinking then, doing then, the forecast I was making then, compared to where I am now, it's not even close. I mean, you know, it, it's like watching, you know, one of my favorite 
artist is Turner. And you look at Turner's early work, and, you know, it's very graphic. You know, it's very clear. And then you look at him in his later ages, and with a lot of great artists, by the way, and you see it becomes more and more abstract. They say a lot more with a lot less. And that's what the aging process, as I see it, if, again, going back to Zidzi, if you continue to learn. And she used to say all the time, I learn something new every day. Okay. And Gerald, when an individual looks at the world and they see human beings dominating and enslaving other groups of human beings, um, their reaction and emotions can you know, vary. But you've been on record a lot being very angry, excoriating these groups and individuals who've appeared to be perpetuating slavery and anguish upon their fellow human beings. Do you feel that your anger is more of a personal reaction, or do you feel that your anger is actually an effective tool to communicate just how severe a situation is um, with the expectation that you're going to cause people to wake up and see reality the way you see it? You know, it goes back to my father, you know, you know think for yourself. You know, this is the way I feel. I don't tell anybody else how to feel. I'm just expressing my emotions. And like I, you know, if the gods could be angry, I certainly could be angry. If Jesus Christ could pick up a whip and drive the money changes out of the temple, hey, anger goes, you know, anger's anger. And to say not, you know, even to put that into a perspective, as so many people do, is to me a very controlling function of people that don't want other people to feel the soul within them. Let's do this in a very calm and gentlemanly-like manner. Oh, yes, like those fine British people. They're always so proper, particularly where they drink their tea with their pinky in the air. As the sun never sets on the British Empire, and they enslave probably more people in history than anybody else, and slaughtered how many millions in doing it. So this anger thing to me is a, is a control issue. And it stops people from feeling the truth within themselves. Again, if the gods could be angry, I could be angry. And, and when but you look at anger. society, to me as I see it, there are 80% of the people, they're never going to get it. They're out of their minds for whatever reason or they don't want to get in them. You know, it, whether it's now or well, 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And then there are 10% of the people that are the destroyers, the political... Mad men and mad women, the sociopaths and the psychopaths. And then there's another 10%. And those are the builders. And I put myself in that other 10%, the builders. Seeing what's wrong, calling a spade a spade, and then deciding how could it be better? How could beauty, grace, style and joy come back into society. So I don't look at it as anger. I look at it as repulsion of what sick people are doing to destroy beauty and joy on the planet. Well, let's elaborate on that. What do you, first off, what do you feel would allow this beauty to come back and to thrive on the planet and what collectively is society at this moment of linear time doing to prevent that from happening? Or do you feel that uh, collectively humanity as a whole is putting the steps in motion to allow this beauty to come back? Do you feel that they are moving towards further enslavement or that they are moving towards further freedom? Are we at a point where either one's going to break? Yeah, it could break either way. Again, it's a, it's a battle between the destroyers and the builders. And as I see it now, you know, a lot of people, it, it, again, the only way it changes is, again, remember, you know, I'm not telling anybody what they should think or what they should believe. It's only, you know, think for yourself. As I see it, when people find 
the courage, dignity, and self-respect within themselves, then everything changes. So it's about people really doing everything they can to continue to develop in the best manner they can, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And when I say spiritually, I'm not talking about New Age, you know, spiritually, or, or religious spiritually. I'm talking about finding the truth within themselves. You know, I have a, a belief about hell. And to me, hell is taking that last breath and knowing that you lied to yourself. And you're not the person who you said you were or could have been. You lived a lie. That would be hell to me. So I believe that when more people start finding the truth within themselves, that's when the future will change. You go back you know, about a, you know, a few weeks ago, and you had the Ukraine uprising. It actually began in 2013. All of a sudden, and again, I'm not taking sides on this, an uh, administration that was corrupt, just like the one before it, by the way, and the one before that, overthrown. And then the president vanishes. You see all his people around him abandon him. The emperor has no clothes. None of them do. There's nothing behind the curtain. And to me, anyone that looks up to a politician looks down upon themselves. So I believe we're in that critical stage right now where you're seeing populist movements going on around the world. People in the streets of Bangkok and around Thailand for months. Again, what happened in Ukraine, the pitchfork movements in Italy, the demonstrations and riots in Venezuela, Brazil, Argentina, the people protesting in Cambodia and Bangladesh, the, 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 the civil wars in Syria, Libya, Yemen, Bahrain. Bahrain never makes the news because the United States the fleet is stationed there. So you can't say anything bad about the Emir, you know, Emir kings, the dictators. And you go around the world, and it's not like Africa. I mean, you know, Central Africa, Somalia, Sudan, or the Sudans, I should say. The uh, uh, Congo, you just keep going around, and you can see the unrest. Bulgaria, Romania. It, it's nonstop, Greece, Spain, Portugal, Ireland, in, in severe depressions, and they still don't call them that. So it's a time when people can understand, if they look hard enough, there's no one behind the curtain. It's empty. What you see is what you get. There is no magic hand. There is no Illuminati. Yes, there are criminal organizations that want to steal all your money. But they're not hiding behind a curtain either. They're called the World Bank. They're called the IMF. They're called the Federal Reserve. They're called the European Central Bank. They're called the Goldman Sachs Gang, the Merrill Lynch Ma, the Deutsche Bank Bandits. There's nobody behind the curtain. So when people realize that they have the power within themselves to transform society, that's when it's going to change. And I want to make this really clear. I'm looking for a spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and moral revolution. I'm looking for moral might, not military might. I'm totally opposed to violence. Okay, and Gerald, in terms of that, that revolution that you're talking about, have you ever seen throughout the course of human history any examples that humanity could point to and say, well, this got part of it or this was had a gist about it. Can you, uh, is there any points in human history that you can say that we experienced something like what you're describing? Ale Romana alla Antica, in the manner of the Romans and the ancients, the Italians said at the height of the Renaissance to describe the quality of their work. A Renaissance, <laughs> part 
as you said, perfect, no, nothing is in life. Not on this planet. But quality came back and dignity and beauty. And those are all gone. Big box stores. It's like going into a large self-storage unit. Look at the buildings. Look at the crap that they build. Look at these glass pieces of junk. Look around the world and then go back to America. Look at, look at the building of America. A place Detroit is the perfect example of a decline and fall of an empire. You look, at the, you look at those beautiful buildings that we were building at the turn of the last century, the, 18th, the, the 1800s to 1900s. And look at the junk they put up and look how it's rotting now in Detroit. Look at these ugly malls. Look at the stupid houses that they build. Look at the low quality. Save money, live better. No. Buy quality, live better. Create beauty, live better. So, you know, that's the kind of change that has to take place. So when you look to the Renaissance, it was a rebirth. And in America, you could have the same thing. You could have a restoration, the restoration of America. And then, by the way, I want to make this really clear. I'm sick and tired of people saying, yeah, the Americans slaughtered the Indians. I know. And I know about slavery, and I know about all the inequities and inequalities of this country. I'm not stupid. But I also know it was the land of opportunity. I also know it was the land of freedom. I also know that it had principles in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution that the rest of the world wanted to follow. So I know the bad and the good. And now we're only stuck with the bad and the ugly. And we've lost the good. So I want to see a restoration of the good. And there's plenty there to restore. Well, comparing that renaissance what do you think were the principal um triggers for that renaissance and what would need be needed for that to occur on a similar plane in the united states or anywhere else in the world and it all became it all started again goes back to that <laughs> to that passion chakra beauty and uh, there was the de medicis where are the de medicis today there's certainly not a gates ain't no buffett can't be a uh, an icon. What's his name? Whoever he is, you know, the guy who always wants to make more money. You know, they, they look at them. Look at them. They're not putting. They're there to buy their art collections. You know, it's, it goes back into beauty. And look what this country has done in the United States. The first things that they cut out of education. And by the way, the education system stinks. It's rotten. It's not working. We spend more money than just about any other country, and we don't even win, place, or show in OECD educational levels. So let's call it what it is. It's a total failure. If it was working, we wouldn't be in the problems that we'd have because we'd have a highly educated, effective, and efficient running society. So what is the first thing they cut out, these morons? Art. Who needs art? Yeah. Who needs art? So that's what it takes. Art is the way of finding the true meaning of the human spirit. It's etched indelibly in the works left behind by civilizations past. And right now, it's an artless society. Just in my lifetime, look what it's gone to. Frank Sinatra to Justin Bieber, Ella Fitzgerald to Nicki Minaj. I mean, I could go up and down the list. Nat King Cole to Jay-Z. You know, it's a, it's a freak show. And nobody, no one wants to call the freaks freaks. The emperor has no clothes. Because you have a tailor. <laughs> yeah, Gerald, I just want to, in your time, at this moment in your time, you were sounding alarm bells incredibly passionately about an imminent economic collapse unlike anything the world had ever experienced before. For people listening to this interview, they may be listening in an era of history where this event has already occurred. Can you please discuss why you felt this economic collapse was imminent? What was behind the collapse? And how do you feel this economic collapse would likely have changed the course of human history? 
it began, you know, again, I've been at this a long time, and as I said, it's a learning process. I really began, to, I, my, I got my, um, my name, actually, as a trend forecaster back in 1987, when in January I had forecast. It's in the Wall Street Journal. You go to our website, trendsjournal.com, that the markets would crash. We'd have a market crash at 87. And then I saw the Asian currency crisis. And that's when I started understanding more about the manipulations of the markets. And then there was the SNL crisis also before that. And I kept seeing the manipulation, manipulation, manipulation. And even with the 87 crash. And the bailouts of long-term capital management, on and on. The manipulation, manipulation. I realized this isn't capitalism. It's fascism. It's the merger of state and corporate powers. Up until 2008 when they invented the too big to fail. And capitalism is no such thing. So what I began to realize is that rather than letting it fail and propping it up with more artificial money and only to enrich the very few, you're making a bad situation worse. It's giving a heroin addict more heroin. So these are money junkies and they need their fix. So I kept seeing that the worse things became, the more monetary heroin they kept pumping into the system. And what they've done is they've created a money junkie that's totally out of their minds. It's the money changes. They're nothing more than those. They're, they're just junkies. So they've built it to a level where it's unsustainable, and not only in the U.S., in the EU, outright monetary transactions, but we'll call them OMTs. Yeah, you need money, banks? We'll give it to you all you want. Stimulus. Who made that one up? QE? Yeah, how about FUs? You know, that's all it is because they're robbing the future of the people by giving all this money to a very few and artificially inflating the market. Same thing in Japan. I got it. We'll call it something else. What, what can we call it? Hey, how about Abenomics? Yeah, that really sounds stupid. Let's do that. Go over to China. They have the same problem. They just call it something different. They've been dumping trillions of yuan into the system to keep pumping up their markets. So it's a global crisis, and there's no end in sight. But you're seeing it, the implications of it, by, again, the demonstrations raging throughout the world. Again, another saying as a kid that had his roots in the Bronx when people lose everything and have nothing left to lose, they lose it. And you're seeing people lose it all over. They've lost their houses. They've lost their jobs. Young people have lost their future. And as they're losing it, a very small handful are taking it all. If one thing happened from the, Wall, the Occupy Wall Street movement is it made very clear about the 1% and the 99%. And even to the point where that is a theme that is also replayed on the mainstream business channels and mainstream news. It's a reality. It's not a fiction. It's a fact. Okay. And Gerald, in your life, um, my understanding is that you've been meditating. Do you mind if I ask how has meditation influenced and impacted your life and how do you feel your life and perception would be without engaging in meditation. Yeah, I've been meditating for a long time. Um, I, I begin my day with it. And everybody has their own movie going on. And everybody thinks they have the only movie in the world. Let me tell you about me. I haven't told you more about me? I'll tell you more about me. So they keep playing this movie over and over and over and over and over and over. And to me, what meditation is to stop the movie to bring in quiet space. By bringing in quiet space, new thoughts can enter. So that's why, really why I meditate. I want to stop the movie. I want to bring as much peace of mind that I possibly can during that time. And so that it refreshes me in, in more ways than one. I have a very dear friend, Alex McMullen. Alex McMullen is a guy's guy. You know, he was a ranger in Vietnam. Of course, he's totally anti-war now. 
you know, young guy. Matter of fact, one of his roommates, who was a top draft choice for the Philadelphia Phillies, was Bobby Mercer in the old days back in the uh, in the minor leagues. Real guy. And um, I met him up here in Uptown Kingston one time, years ago, about 12 years ago. He's a quadriplegic now. He slipped on ice about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And he's he's a quadriplegic. He can't do anything on his own anymore. Hardly move his hands. And we're very good friends. And he told me many times, he goes, Gerald, he said, if it wasn't for meditation, man, I don't know if I'd still be here. And you call him up. He lives in Denver now. As a matter of fact, I had a fundraiser for him, a couple of them. And one time we made enough money so he could buy a van. Alex needs a van because he was stuck ever here all the time. And then we made enough money so he could move back out to Denver to live with his near his son and daughter-in-law. And he's just he just had two grandchildren, so he's really really happy. And call him up. Hey, Alex, how you doing? No, I'm I'm doing good. He said, How you feeling? Well, you know, he said, hey, you know, I haven't been out of bed now for uh, about two months. Remember, this guy's a quadriplegic. He's been in a chair. He's been in this condition for about you know a quarter of a century. So his skin keeps breaking down every time he stands. He tries to sit in his chair, and he always has an up attitude. And he meditates all the time, all the time. One day I'm talking to him. He goes out of nowhere. He said, "He said, Gerald. He said, you know what contentment is?" And I paused for a second. He said, "If it took you that long, you don't have a clue." So, when you talk to somebody like Alex, rarely does he complain. He's constantly in pain. And he's held it together through meditation. He lived, we don't live far from Woodstock over here. And he used to go to the, uh, to the Tibetan uh, the Buddhist temple over here. And uh, so, me, I, I, I have my own methods and make up my own trip as I meditate. But it's really about quieting the mind. And, uh, you know, and also, as you may know, I'm a close combat practitioner. I used to have my own school for a number of years. And I used to train black belt uh, close combat uh, practitioners as well. That was my that was my uh, specialty, was training black belt guys. And one of the things taught to me by John Perkins at attackproof.com uh, was very early on in the fight and, and as being living as an individual, get rid of the ego. Get rid of, and that's what meditate. You get rid of the ego. Ego destroys. The only time he used to say when ego comes in is when your life is on the line. That's when your ego comes in. Other than that, get rid of it. And that's what meditation also helps me do. Is you know, does gets rid of that ego. And, uh, Gerald, one final question uh, I'd like to know is um, what would you describe the inside of your heart and uh, what ideals and what individuals does your heart burn the hottest for? (laughs) You know, I I would say, you know, it's the golden rule. That's all it is. Do unto others you have to do unto you. You know, just kindness, generosity, uh, beauty, you know, great food, you know. And I surround myself with beauty. I mean, that's, I, I, you know, I have art all over and, you know, I, I try to dress you know, as best I can every day. And, again, people being nice to other people and, you know, extending a hand and, and, and realizing that we're all in this thing together. So that's basically it. And, you know, kindness, it all comes back to that, and generosity. You know, like, yeah, you know, people are holding on to things like they're going to be here forever, you know. I get a kick out of these billionaires and multimillionaires. Well, I'm going to spend everything or I'm going to uh, give it all away before I die. How do you know when you're going to die, you arrogant piece of crap? What do you got? Oh, yo, you're rich, you know. <laughs> and you hear it all the time. I'm going to get rid of it before I die. What, 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 are you kidding me or what? Man, Jack, you're dead like that. Lights go out. You don't know what hit you. It could be a car accident. It could be a slip. It could be anything. 
So to live each day as it is truly the last, because no one knows when the lights are going to go out. Got it. All right. Mr. Salente, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for being with us today. You can learn more about Gerald Salente by going to his website, trendsjournal.com. You can also subscribe to his uh, phenomenal publication, The Trends Journal, and I highly, highly recommend it. So, Mr. Salente, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a total and truly an honor to have you on the show today. Ah, Thank you for having me. All the best. Joining us right now to provide incredible insight into Mr. Gerald Salente is world-renowned, globally respected psychic medium, Ms. Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Carrie by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Carrie, what did you learn about Mr. Salente? I learned that he is such a forerunner. What's really interesting, Ryan, is that you pointed out that a lot of people you were, interested, that were, you were interviewing was born in the year 1946, either Scorpio or Sagittarius. And so where he comes in is a pathblazer, and he, he has these energetic torches in both hands, and he just sets the blaze of fire, and he lets the other people follow him. So he is uh, a energy that comes in with such a power. It looks like he's got the sun energy behind him, so he's passionate, he's exciting, and he just goes right to people's hearts and acts like a, a heart paddle to them to stimulate them, to open up the heart, to go back to you. I love how he keeps on emphasizing the golden rule. And that really is all the truths from all the different traditions Brian comes down to, simple, simple teachings that Buddha has said, Jesus has said. And so he's, he's a voice of the future. He's a trailblazer, and he came in at a time when we were going through the darker phase. So he's, he's a huge... Does, uh, does he have any counsel that is around him for people who have passed around him that are, are actively counseling him in his efforts on a, on a consistent basis? Yeah, I see that he's got strong, a great-grandfather that was came over from what looks like uh, warring situations, things weren't easy, so he has that, the energy of, um, of, again, a general. He's not afraid to get in the forefront, and he has a huge, it looks like an army of people behind him. Stuart Wilde probably referred to the golden army. He's very much connected to that energy. He's got a lot of yellow gold in his energy field, a lot of that comes with that Vishnu energy or the Buddhic energy, the Christ consciousness energy, and he is, when I see the sun behind him, the shamans would say he's so directly connected to the universal grid is what I call it. So he could go right up to describing the human experience, but he has access to the collective consciousness and the unconscious patterns. That's how he does and is able to forecast the markets and all that stuff. And he's got a good pulse on the humanities, um, you could say, the, and so he... He's got the doctor counsels, too. He's got an amazing team behind him. Uh, it's really great. And you know what's interesting about him is that um, he, when he does his interviews, that people who watch and listen to him, you see that he's very passionate. He gets very angry. But you know what's interesting is that do you, you think that he's got a very big heart? Do you think that the anger is expressed with the expectation of you know, on helping to get people to wake up and to, to get them to, to feel more? Absolutely. That's where I see his energy. He brings me right to the heart because I've seen and heard other um, advocate people, but they say more in the head energy. He cuts right to the heart, the human heart, the energetic heart, and allows us to get into the space beyond what I call the wounded heart, where most people in humanity get stuck in and we just keep on replaying our stories all around us. So he has the ability to cut through that wounded heart and allows us to get into the space of being able to look at life differently, to be able to rotate out of the, the matrix, really. Oh, excellent. excellent. The forerunners are able to do that. The forerunners, they came to create a path, and that's what I see energetically. And there was that year of 46 that a lot of people came into this physical incarnation to create a path for those that are born in the 50s and 60s and 70s to go on further and to be able to take up. It's like a marathon stick and be able to continue to have that path of our, the human evolutionary process to continue and to expand. So he's a huge forerunner. And that passion and that anger, it gets your attention. You, you kind of listen to him and he pulls you in, but then it, I feel the energy of his heart. He's got a kind, kind, beautiful, beautiful heart. I see all beauty around him. I could tell his whole environment has a lot of art. It looks like when you go into his dwelling, say, the walls move because it's alive, Ryan. And sometimes when we go into people's homes or their environments, it all looks very plasticky to me. I even get a plastic taste in my mouth because there's no life force. But when somebody is so connected to passion and, and excitement, they, it looks like their environment is really alive and bouncing. 
Oh. Again, the musical notes, his musical notes going off his um, ceiling and his floor. He's an amazing man. Oh, that's really wonderful and great to hear. Kerry O'Connor, phenomenal analysis. Please go to Kerry's website at kerryoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Kerry. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us today to do the astrological chart of Mr. Gerald Salente is Miss Constance Stellis. You can go to her website, ConstanceStellas.com, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-C-E, Stellas, S-T-E-L-L-A-S.com. Miss Constance, what did you find out about Mr. Gerald Salente? Well, an interesting bird here, uh, interesting human. I mean, actually, all humans are interesting to me because one of the things that's so wonderful about astrology is how unique everybody's chart is. It's like we're all our own individual snowflake. So um, Mr. Salente is a Sagittarian with a Libra moon, which is a little bit similar to one of our other guests, but many people have Libra moons, and Sagittarius rising. Now Sagittarius is um, the the fire is a fire sign, and is considered the good humored, um, happy go lucky sign of the zodiac. Um, I'm not sure uh, Mr. Salente would like this comparison, but Ben Bernanke was <laughs> is a Sagittarian, <laughs> and um, yeah, um, uh, but the the basic uh, outlook on life is kind of a rogue and a gambler, and. Um, Many, many insights that kind of come like hunches and people who like to stir things up. Uh, his career path is extremely uh, successful and um, he, um, I know that he has kind of extreme views, but whether his predictions come true or not is not really, uh, I think, his purpose this lifetime. I think it's more to shake things up. And, um, you know, of course, everybody likes to be right. But he, by going to one extreme, is providing a balance for people who are just humming along and not really paying uh, attention. Um, he has a, a desire to um, kind of interface, I don't know if we can use a computer word here, but with the uh, with the great beyond, meaning with the the more mystical or metaphysical areas uh, of life. But uh, he's going to bring that down to to um, practical terms. However, unlike other guests that we've spoken about, um, Mr. Salente has no Earth in his chart. Now, earth, we have four elements, fire, earth, air, and water. And earth is the element of practical, concrete reality. So I'm not saying he's out of his mind. He's not out of his mind at all. But he is extremely theoretical and inspirational. And his ideas may not translate down to hard, cold, kind of um, day-to-day reality. Um, But he shakes things up. Um, he, um, I think, if we want, we were speaking about past lives before, that he may have spent some time um, in re- in retreat, um, and it could be religious retreat or just um, someplace away from people where he could kind of think his thoughts, uh, not this lifetime, but past lifetimes. Um, he... Um, I believe has been divorced, um, uh, and um, that may be a little bit of a kind of bump in his life. But the most important thing um, in his chart is to communicate his ideas in what he considers a fair way, even though many other people may consider it an extreme way. And he's a very kind of showy communicator. So I think that when you're speaking with him, you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I've never had a conversation with Mr. Salente that wasn't uh, absolutely engaging. I mean, even in the time where he's not I'm sure. quiet, he's uh, yeah, he's he's pretty 
He's very passionate, very energetic. Do you think that um, Absolutely. Mr. Salente might be a, um, or is a leader in this life incarnation, or do you think that his next life incarnation might be more of a leadership role or more of a... I think actually that's a good question. I think that if we think about it that way, his theories have a leadership role this time around, but putting them into action would be in a, in a, in a, in a future lifetime. That is great. So we can all cast our votes for Mr. Salente right. for my incarnation, wherever we Right, 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 right. D- does he or did he have political ambitions? Um, I believe he's a passionate political atheist. And uh-huh. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe if the entire paradigm changes and we have mm-hmm. actual fair-based elections, I cannot imagine a grassroots campaign catching on fire for Mr. Salente. But, uh, yeah. Ms. Constance Stellis, it was a great insight. Thank you so much. Again, My pleasure. Again, anyone who wants to learn about uh, Ms. Constance Stellis, you can go to her website, ConstanceStellis.com, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-C-E, Stellis, S-T-E-L-L-A-S.com. Joining Thank you today so much, Constance, to provide. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm Mr. Gerald Talente. It's Ms. Laura Lynn. Ms. Laura Lynn is a psychic reader psychic medium for that matter, a past life regressionist, and the best in the world at what she does. And you can learn more about Ms. Lynn by going to her website, angelreader.net. Ms. Lynn, what did you learn about Mr. Gerald Salente looking into his past? This, this man was so fun to listen to. I really enjoyed it. And I was wondering what, you know, what he historically felt about the French Revolution because I had him so there, so pegged there for, for throughout the, the interview up until about midpoint and then it just hit me like, oh my gosh. I, I started hearing five points gang and I'm like, what does that mean? Five points gang. Have you ever heard of that, Jack? No. No, I have not. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of the Gangs of New York? Yes. Yes. Okay. He was a front runner in the Gangs of New York. And I am not kidding. He was so deep set into that culture and he felt totally justified. He felt like the like America, the country was taking trying to uh basically constrict everybody so he felt like he needed to take it in his own hands. And he did it. He was a front runner. Explain taking it in his own hands. Are we talking about he was uh, was, uh, taking out out some people? Doing whatever he needed to do to take care of the culture of his his neighborhoods. Yep. Okay, well, well, we, well, because people were not familiar with the gangs in New York. So, okay, so so Gerald was a uh, a leader in this thing. Um, Would you say that his... Was he a passionate advocate of freedom in this life incarnation you describe, or was it more absolutely about heritage? Okay. Yeah. No. He was. He came back here. He had. He was on such strong, um, let's say, on the continuum of life. One part of the continuum, he was all about peace, giving peace to the people of the land, giving peace to the you know he a revolution. That's what he you know he was. A strong part of the French Revolution, and and then he and then coming back into the time, and I I don't know, I feel like this was during maybe the mid 1850s, and I may have that wrong, maybe 1870s, but what I'm getting from what I'm visualizing is that this time it was all about anger of a culture that was trying to take people down, particularly his family, and he he had enough of it. And so it was more about his individual freedom uh, instead of global freedom. You know, first it's global freedom. The French Revolution was globalized, you know, for that country, for the people. Then it came to individual freedom for him to have, his family to have, to to take care of his family and his culture and his, his neighborhoods. And then he comes back here in this lifetime and it's about the world. It's about globalization, and you know, you know, he, he talked about romantic, romanticism, peace, loving, compassionate. You know, consider it. He, you know, the live to love, and the, so he brought it all back to him. It feels like the French Revolution taught him a lot about that, that deep, you know, humanism feeling, 
and then he and then he, but then he had to feel the opposite and be much more into restrained energy when he was in New York and then came back here to really teach a, a profound lesson. Miss Laura Lynn, you can, thank you so much. You can learn more about Miss Laura Lynn by going to her website, angelreader.net. Miss Laura Lynn, thank you so much for being on the program. Here today to provide some additional insight on Mr. Gerald Salente is world-renowned psychic medium, Miss Lisa Casa. You can learn more about Lisa by going to her website, soul-psychics.com. Lisa, welcome to the program, and what did you learn about Mr. Salente? Hey, great to be on. Um, I actually got uh, quite quite the story from him. Um, firstly, I have to say thank you so much for this for this interview because it's actually shown me a side of him that I haven't seen before. Um, like I've seen him before many many times on Alex Jones and and RT that kind of thing, and he's so focused and so passionate in the messages that he was trying to get across in those shows. It didn't show us his true being, and he's so gentle. He's such a soft, loving spirit, and I just, I'm so thankful for for having the opportunity to even see that side of him now. Um, one of the first things that I picked up from him, well, as everybody knows, he's a trans forecaster, and I guess it, it probably won't shock you much when I, when I say that he was one before. Um... Okay. Now, what do you think about his uh, energy that you garner from his energy in the present moment? Uh, what is, um, does he does he have certain people that are around him? Um, what kind of energy is he putting into the world at this present time? His the the energy he's putting out to the world is well, it's a bit of a um, a frustrated one, but one that's direly needed. It's a positive positive energy. He's trying to wake people up. Um, he's trying to work with the people and for the people to try to create an awareness and, as he says, a more educated society. Um, like the one thing I need to point out is that like you had mentioned in, in his interview, um, the anger that he was feeling and when he talks about things such as the economic collapse and, and the trends that he is t- seeing today, it's not just really anger it's a mixture of a few different emotions that that are manifesting, and indeed, like he says, it's a, it's it's a repulsion. Um, however, it's also a very strong passion to get his messages across and heard, and it's frustration as well, because people aren't seeing the truth, and you know, it's like he says too. It's a, it's like a control issue where he feels all of this, um, sees what's going on but it's something beyond his control. Even though he wants to control it, he wants to stop it, but he can't stop what's happening. So it's a mixture. It's an oleo of all of these different emotions that's seeping through in, in his discussions and his, his, um, his messages. But, and, now what, do you, what do you see? What, do you see any predictions for him in the future? Like what do you see as a, sh- a short-term, long-term future? Uh, with Mr. Salente? Yeah, well, that's just one day. I mean, do you think that um, he's going to continue, he's going to rise in his uh, respectability, popularity, or do you think that right now he's going to um, experience the same level of respectability and popularity uh, from between now and the duration of the end of his life? Oh no, it's it's going to continuously rise because okay. uh, the majority of so many accurate predictions that he has made in respect to you know, the economy and everything else that's been going on, more and more of his quote-unquote predictions are going to come true. And people are going to see this. And the more and more people that see this, the more and more revered he, he is going to be. Thank you so much, Lisa. It was a great insight. And to learn more about Lisa, you can go to her website at soul-psychics.com. Lisa, thank you so much for your analysis. That's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing analysis, pretty amazing interview. Thank you so much for being with us today. Learn more about our uh, the Outer Limits of Inner Truth by going to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. It was really amazing, and special thanks so much to Mr. Gerald Salente for being a part of the program. Truly an honor. And for the next time we meet, my friends, next week we'll have Ms. Teal Scott, and we'll beat usual time 
10 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursdays. Wishing upon you and your families infinite peace and love. Thank you for joining us this evening. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything.